Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show in association with Cadbury Boost. We're delighted to be coming from the Aviva Fan Studio here in the Aviva Stadium today where we're hoping Ireland will be facing England for a Six Nations title in two weekends' time. Before that, of course, is a trip to Cardiff and joining us to preview that action is jo Johnny Murphy here in the Aviva. Now, we're going to talk about Ireland's uh, challenge against the Welsh attack, in particular, Reese Webb's sniping game and the set-piece attack uh, and lots more to come as well, Johnny. How are you, first of all? Good, good. Thank you very much for having me back again. Great to have you back. Uh, first of all, a bit of breaking news, I guess, overnight um, and this morning. Johnny, uh, rather, Ian Madigan is going to Bristol on a three-year deal, uh, a, a club that looks destined for the championship. What, what do you make of that move? Um, I suppose, first, I suppose, probably from um, Ian's perspective, probably a small bit disappointed, disappointing for him how it's kind of all come to an end over in Bordeaux. Uh, I know he has a few months left, but I suppose he wanted to go sample a new lifestyle, new new playing style, and unfortunately, it's not, not worked out for him. Um, thing about Bristol is, yeah, after the weekend, it looks like they probably will get relegated. But you know, they're, you know, they they want to move places. You know, Pat Lamb's come in. He's obviously been given probably three to five years in total. Um, and you know, the the owner, he owns a soccer club as well. He he wants Bristol to be a hotbed of sport in general in in that area in England. So. Um, you know, he'll have a year playing in the championship, which I suppose will be tough mm -hmm. at times. Um, but with, uh, with the other players if they sign, they're, you know, I think they'll certainly bounce straight back up w with ease. And if they manage to add to the roster that they're already adding to, I think they could be a real force in the Premiership in two years' time. Yeah, I mean, he's out of the Ireland picture now in Bordeaux. Does this even push him further out of, of Joe Smith's plans? Um, you probably would reckon so. He is closer to home though um, and I suppose in a year's time he, he probably felt that when he left to to go to Bordeaux that you know he was going to be out of the reckoning for, for two years anyway so a year in the championship doesn't necessarily kind of harbour his timelines to get back into the Irish setup. So, you know, he'll be back in the Premiership year before the World Cup and, you know, if they play well then he has to be looked at. So, um, yeah, I think he probably just resigned himself that, you know, I'm two years probably out in the wilderness and that's a decision he's made. But if we're back in the Premiership in a year's time, he should be able to push his case again. Mm. Over half a million a year as well will certainly be compensation for that. <laughs> uh, there's been a bit more, bit more moving in the transfer market. Leinster have signed Scott Fardy and James Lowe over from New Zealand. I mean, what does that say about Leinster's ambition on, on the European front? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think Scott Fardy's probably, they're looking at that Nathan Hines, um, you know, Brad Thorne-esque kind of persona in the dressing room, uh, that hard nosed edge, you know, that hard edge to, to the second row. Um, and I suppose, you know, the back three is such a you know it's such a competitive area adding to it already you know they could probably pick three back threes that other one you know mm. you, the likes of Adam Byrne who's had a breakthrough season this year and played so well you know you forget Dave Kearney's been injured Fergus McFadden has been injured so you know um, it just adds a huge amount of strength and depth that they already have um, so yeah you know the people are going to be looking at them and they really want to want to step forward and they've made some very astute signings probably Stuart Lancaster probably one of the best that they've they they have done this year so I think um, yeah they're certainly going to be there thereabouts in the years mm. to come. That squad on paper now is just going to be even more ridiculous to look mm. at I certainly think they're going to be right, right at the ch uh, challenging for that competition of course a uh, big Six Nations weekend ahead um, Ireland are up against Wales we've seen probably two sides of the Welsh so far really physical, really aggressive against the English in defeat, albeit, and then a really disappointing performance last time out against Scotland. What, what do you expect Ireland to face in, in Cardiff? Um, 
I think you know it's going to be a proud performance from the Welsh. Um, you know they've lost two; their hopes of winning the championship are are, are gone. Um, and I think that you know back home Friday night, um, where the roof is open or closed, it's going to be a fantastic occasion. And I think it's probably something that the Welsh players are like. We want to put in a performance for the supporters. Um, I suppose they felt they probably let their supporters down <coughs> a small bit, but. You know, I think the performance in Scotland, people are saying, oh, they didn't perform, but you have to give credit to Scotland. Scotland are a very good side, and for me, it's something I've been saying over the last couple of weeks. I don't really understand why people are underrating Scotland so much. Glasgow are on, you know, they're on the up. Um, the spine of that Scottish team has, you know, qualified for the quarterfinals of the European Cup for the first time ever. And they're playing a really good brand of rugby, smart, intelligent rugby, and, um, you know, I think they're a really good side. Um, Wales just haven't fired. Um, I don't think they're that good, but in in relative speaking, in terms of where they have been over the last couple of years, but they're very dangerous on Friday night purely because their pride is hurt mm. and they're going to come out fighting and probably it's it's going to be probably a tougher battle on Friday than it would be if they had beaten the Scots up in Murrayfield just based on the pride factor alone. Yeah, that emotion is going to be immense. And I, I was listening to Paul O'Connell uh, commentating on that England-Wales match and he was saying he'd never experienced that kind of emotion in a stadium. He'd never been there for an England-Wales match. I can only imagine that's going to be amplified as they kind of fight for their lives in this, in this competition. We've seen them try to develop their attack a little bit, I think. What are the, especially with Rob Howley now, the, the kind of top man, Warren Gallen's gone mm. to, to work with the Lions. Howley, of course, had a spell in 2013, a really successful one when he was head coach and, and they won that championship. Not so good around this time around, but what are you seeing maybe tactically that he's trying to push with this team? Um, well, I suppose it's probably, um, you know, the late runners at the line that they've expanded on, you know, and I think we'll look at Liam Williams and what, and how Reese Webb controls that area. Um, you know, he runs at nine, he, he interests defenders at two and sometimes even three at, at times in the defensive line. And he just produces late shoulder balls that it's not just probably the Warren ball as old. There, there's a bit more, um, there's probably just a bit more to it and, and it's just the late runners arriving on shoulder balls that probably wasn't there before it was all physical it was get up get around the corner get to an edge and then try and get back to the other edge where there's a bit more subtlety to it I suppose. Mm. That was successful for such a long time as well but yeah you do kind of have to develop I think we've seen them they've moved to that one three three one shape even mm -hmm. in face play and you see Justin Tipperick or, or Warburton now in the 15 metre channel certainly suits Tipperick to, to mm. play that style. But you mentioned Reese Webb, and we're actually going to take a look at one of the examples um, of him uh, kind of sniping at, at the fringe defence. He's, he's brilliant in this area and it was particularly strong against the Scottish. In this example, we see him in the top left, he comes to a ruck and he's set to pick up here. Uh, he spots that the pillar defender for Scotland is only actually arriving, so he's kind of folding around the corner. So straight away, a clear opportunity. Uh, you mentioned the guys kind of running off him, and that's that's the real key. You can't you can't just do it on your own. You, you mm. imagine a, a scrum half sniping and, and just being a kind of individual individualistic genius, but it's about those guys coming off his shoulder. And here he has Justin Tipperick, um, interesting the second defender out from the rock, who is Richie Gray. So you know there's already space opening up there for Webb. Uh, because of that late arrival of the pillar. Mm. Um, when we move down to the third image here, we can see that he's actually decided to have that go himself inside the A defender for Scotland, who's Richie Gray again, mm. attracted by Tipperick uh, just to Webb's right, just here. So he, he's, he's got, a, a, got, a, got a bit of space. He actually has a, a chance to flick an inside ball to a late runner again. So yeah. you've seen all those options for Wales. Uh, just off a simple uh, midfield kind of rock, 
um, and Webb goes through the line. In this case, he actually throws a, a really poor offload, but it's, it's, it's that constant danger around the fringe, and I think Ireland are going to have to be really, really uh, tight in, in that area. And that's probably a system, you know, it's probably a system area. You know, Gray there in that situation, he has to recognise that he's at, you know, pillar two or A or whatever you call it in your defensive system. He is there. He has to marshal nine. He can't be looking at the runners outside. They're not his. And that was a, you know, we'll talk later about Jonathan Joseph as well. You have to know where the ball is. You can't defend the runners in front of you. You have to, there's no point defending your channel on your own. You have to build your connections, whether it's late or early, preferably early, but if you have a late pillar, you have to get your connection on the inside and come forward. But you also have to marshal, who, you also have to know who you're responsible for. So if you're at two in the defensive line, you're generally, you're, you're controlling nine. So you have to come forward off the line. And if he takes the ball to the line, then you have to jam it up, everyone else outside you. Rather than looking in front, this is my space, I don't care what happens inside me, I have to look after this space, which then creates all the problems. Yeah, so we're in, in this case, going back to our example again, we're looking at Richie Gray as that A defender, as we're going to turn him. Mm. He goes too early. It's, it's a simple little mistake, but it happens so frequently in the game. And, and we've seen maybe Ireland's defensive errors come from the organisation around that ruck. We're talking about problems out wide, but often it's it's the, it's the organisation of those first three defenders. Yeah. So really big challenge. That's that, you know that that can be an ethos that spreads through the spreads through the theme. I, I think that you know um, you know Anthony Foley had a huge thing that they they can come round us. They just never go through us, and that's something that if your men short. Get in close and use a touchline. As he always said himself, the touchline never went anywhere. It's the best defender on the pitch. You know, it never goes anywhere. It's always there to help you out. So get in close and push him to push him to an edge if your number's down. And that's something that I think that that situation there, Gray, Gray needs to understand, okay, they're not coming through us. Get in tight, get forward, and, and don't worry, we'll jam it up outside. And if they do get around us, you have to trust your back three that they'll make those covering tackles on the edge. Mm. Certainly, Webb is making really good decisions. It's interesting to see his head-to-head -head against Conor Murray, another guy who snipes well and, and really good at identifying those opportunities. Where do you see that particular Lions battle? Because Gatlin's going to be there. There's actually so many different head-to-heads to keep an eye on. Is that kind of in the background of this tie, do you think? Um, I suppose it probably is to a certain extent, but with the emotion and what's on the line, I don't think the lads can get too carried away in that. Um, for me, Connor is streets ahead of everyone. He's probably the best nine in the world at the moment, and that's just how he's performed over the last three games. Um, what you know, it's probably down to Danny Kerr, Ben Youngs, and Reese Webb for that bench spot. They all offer something similar in terms of coming off the bench. Um, as we spoke about getting to those, a, you know, getting to to those A defenders, bringing um, attackers off their shoulders late. So um, yeah, I really like Reese Webb as a player. I think he just offers something different. Um, for me, the three nines would be um, Connor. Um, ben Youngs, I suppose I'm a bit biased, haven't played with Ben, but yeah. Ben and Reese Webb. I just think that even when we played against him at the Ospreys, he just, even when he came off the bench or during international periods, he just adds something to the game. There's always that, oh, what, what, what can he do? And I think he just, um, you know, he's the stereotypical ratty scrum half, which you want. And um, yeah, I think, you know, he's playing well enough that he could be second choice at the moment. Mm, loads of nice head-to-heads in, in that regard. For Warren Gatlin, anyway, to enjoy. Mm. The rest of us are yeah. still focusing on the Six Nations, but he's enjoying himself touring the stadiums. Um, one of the other things we want to look at, and we've got it set up here on the table, uh, but just to run through the example, was the set-piece attack. And this is something I think Rob Howley has brought in. Uh, it's a very simple set-piece attack, but it's kind of built on 
the threat of big Scottish uh, ball carriers like Scott Williams or Jamie Roberts if he's mm. on the pitch and Jonathan Davies being really direct. Um, and this example here is against England in the first game. It's a try off first phase, left hand scrum in the 22. Um, and we should mention before we kind of delve into this that in, in previous set pieces, the, the Welsh have actually run over or through George, uh, George Ford at 10. Mm. So the English are already a bit wary of that. Um, so it's a left-hand scrum. Ross Moriarty plays off the base of the scrum to Reese Webb, getting off the getting off the set piece and already adding in an extra body in the attacking mm -hmm. line. So George Ford immediately has to kind of concern himself with with that threat. So you're already kind of down a body in the defensive line almost. Liam Williams is the key man. He's kind of hidden in behind the scrum half here, and um, he's going to be the try scorer. But from further out the line, we've got Scott Williams just here, and he's going to run a really direct line. Uh, back against the grain and to Owen Farrell's inside shoulder. Um, so when we move on to the second image here, we can see that Webb, just here, is getting towards the line. Now, I think you're going to go through it. Once Wales get into that position, England are going to have to be a bit more aware that, right, they're not going to make two passes here. Mm. Um, we've got to actually jam in and fill, fill that. But the, the danger, I suppose, is a, a late pass out the back door to Jonathan Davies and uh, Dan Bigger here at the back door. So there's all sorts of options for the well, for the English defence rather to deal with, um, and Williams gets a really good block or a decoy line into the inside shoulder of Owen Farrell, completely tracks him in. You see that Jonathan Joseph here has been attracted up and out by those two Welsh attackers. Mm. So basically, it, it opens up a, a huge hole, and Liam Williams is able to go in under there. You do have Jack Noel covering across from uh, behind the scrum, but he's just a little bit late, and Williams is able to to dive under the post. I guess what's really interesting for, 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 the, uh, for the Irish in this sense is, is the midfield and, and Jared Payne is now back in the mix. Mm. Do, first of all, what, what maybe could England have done better in that example? And, and does it may actually mean that Joe Schmidt is going to go, hang on, this is what Wales are doing really well, I need to maybe bring Payne back in? Well, I think you, probably, you have two ways of defending it. Um, one is actually how they defend it, but then you have to get the correct read from Jonathan Joseph at 13. You have to realise that when the nine takes the ball to the line, that it lets, you know, every defender needs to jam up. So you actually want to show them that line in defence. Because if you come forward really hard off the line, they're not going to be able to make two flat passes on the gain line because you're stopping the ball. Um, there's another, and I, I think that's, we wouldn't be talking about it if Jonathan Joseph actually made the right, had made the correct decision. Uh, in that moment, as you said, he gets caught looking at his zone rather than, okay, Reese has the ball, let's hold, 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 now let's jam it up. And I think that's, it's his decision making that creates his error, his defensive error there that actually yeah. creates the, the, the try. And um, the other, the second way is where if you were to drop the nine in behind, so you leave a connection there that can be built between the winger and six if they do a rollout blind, where nine comes in, comes in there, and then we all shift one out, which means we have an extra man in the line, and like that, we all just try and jam it up. Okay. You stay in your channel, and you jam it up. Extra body in there. And yeah, in a, in a sense, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's not just off these scrums. We've seen it off lineouts where they use maybe Scott Williams to, to bash it up on the first couple of phases, or the first couple of set pieces, and then they go with a little screen pass to George North and Liam Williams. I think it's probably a smarter development in that, in that Welsh attack to... Mm to have that little bit of variety, even though it is still quite simple and easy for the backs to, to yeah. execute. And I, and I think it's something that, like we've spoken about already in terms of defensive system, you know, what, what's your ethos? If the ball comes to the line, do you jam it up or do you sit off or do you just let individuals make reads? Where I think the collective need to, need to defend together and, you know, defend together in your threes. Get, get your connection inside, get your connection outside and then do what 
the defender inside you does. That's probably why Jared Payne is so good at reading things. Not, not necessarily that he makes the correct decision all the time. It's that he reads what Robbie Henshaw does inside him. If Robbie makes a bad decision, Jared's, Jared in his mind is going, OK, well, that's a bad decision. I can't compound that error. I have to now you know, cover, cover his back and make the correct decision outside him, which is generally doing what he's done. And um, I think like that, Jonathan Joseph um, didn't recognise the foul, turned his shoulders in, OK, well, it's on the line, let's just jam it up and we hit there, which would actually be in effect a, a game line win if he does yeah. make that tackle there on Liam Williams. Fine margins. Mm. But in terms of that 13, I think it's probably the biggest selection call or the most debated one, certainly, over the next couple of days. What way do you see it going? Like, Joe Schmidt has... In, he's had that combination of Sexton and Henshaw paying for some, some big wins and some big moments. Does he go straight back to that or does he back that, I suppose, promise of, of Gary Ringrose at 13? Um, I suppose, um, you know, I would, I, I would like to see Gary continue in there. Um, I think he's just so close to making those full-on line breaks. It's like he's a centimetre away. He just gets grabbed by the jersey that last second when he's about to make that break. And he's starting to make those half breaks a lot more. So he's getting used to it. And I think, I, for me, I would, I would like him to see, to see him continue in that. Um, Joe Smith, if you look back over the history of his selections, he kind of goes back to what he, he is his tried and tested combinations. And that probably is Jared Payne at 13 this weekend. Um, it's very interesting to see if you watch the documentary on the four days of November that RT did. I think it's probably, you know, how Payne is spoken about by the group. He's spoken about as the general in defence and, you know, he organises a huge amount. Gary Ringrose even mentions it when he's been interviewed. So to have that coming back into what is essentially a semi-final really, no matter what happens in Twickenham, to have that within the group alone is going to add. So uh, for those reasons, I would probably see Jared Payne coming back in. I have to agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised to see that and maybe Ringrose on the bench, especially mm. that Trimble's out yeah. injured. So you've got your wingers aside there and, mm. and Ringrose has done that 23 role and done yeah. it quite well in the past. So yeah, it'd be brilliant for Ireland's future and, and wouldn't be a, a big negative if Ringrose does continue, but mm. I don't think we'd be too surprised to, to see Payne in that 13 no. shirt. No. Um, we're going to take a quick question from, from the audience. Uh, Ross Murphy says, tactically, how do you think Joe Schmidt will combat the ferocious physicality the Welsh will bring? This is kind of what we actually want to discuss next is in terms of Ireland's tactical approach for this game. We've seen the Welsh lap up kind of direct, direct attack against them. Uh, even if you go back to 2015 uh, in Cardiff, Ireland against Wales, there was a passage with 32 phases of Irish attack, really direct, trying to bash their way over, ended up going nowhere and a massive win for the Welsh, a huge psychological boost against England in round one, even when... Youngs did score a try, it took 26 phases. We saw when Dan Bigger intercepted against the English, there were 20 phases before that, so they're very comfortable uh, at getting through a huge amount of work rate in their defence. Do you think Ireland need to go and actually take that on aggressively and directly, or do they play around it and try and negate it that way? Well, I think you need to try, rugby's a physical game, you need to try and win the physical battle first off and win it in whatever way you want. If, you know, like the French, they were never going to win the physical battle on the gain line, but what they tried to do was move the point of contact and beat them up in the wider channels, get them gassing, and then try and hurt them out wide. And I think they did that successfully. Um, it's kind of similar in a sense this weekend, but you know I, I think you'll probably see a huge emphasis on those four or five um, 
um, those four or five phase plays, you know, the power plays that uh, Joe Smith is renowned for. You know, try and break them down early and get those line breaks in and and get the create a sense of confusion amongst the the front line and try and uh, get into the backfield early and move the ball. Then after you've you've got him behind them. Um, and on top of that, I think their multi-phase, when they do get past f fifth and sixth phase, they need to be a, you know, a bit more creative in mm. terms of what they're doing. They're certainly layering that. You know, Johnny Sexton, you sh showed by the, the rap play that he's done so successfully for the last five or six years. I, I think, you know, add on to them, layer them up. And so you want to be sending... Um, two attackers into one uh, one defender's channel, make a, make a decision on the line and have those one-pass plays that can break them down and then it's just about your decision-making on the line and making the correct decision. I think Johnny Sexton is probably one of the best in the world at making those decisions really late on the line and putting people in holes. Yeah, because you mentioned those, you know, flooding into a one channel, one defender against two attackers. The Welsh actually haven't made great decisions on the edge in particular. The wingers, Cuthbert, who's you know, been sacrificed because of those mm. mistakes against England, but also North and Williams, even Williams against the Scottish when they scored down the right through yeah. Tommy Seymour. You know, there was two two defenders in front of him. He made the wrong decision. He bid in, so they they haven't always looked comfortable and in that the area they were. That was something that you know when it happened, the defend the commentators were like, oh, that's crossing. It actually wasn't. It was a really bad dummy line, and then an even worse defensive read in the line out wide. Like there was no way he was in front of the ball. There was no way he was actually going to ever get the ball, and he had enough time just to push off and go outside. And the fact that he turned his shoulders. Um, you know, on the 50 and kind of, you know, in this area here just meant they'd all that space out wide to attack. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that Ireland can go after. Um, and, you know, the the rap play that, that was done, even do maybe one out, do it, a, you know, do it with 13 and 15 coming short and then, you know, Henshaw coming out the back. Just create that doubt out wide in those wider channels. Yeah, you mentioned that Lupe, we're actually going to take a look at one of the examples against France because it's... They just went back to it again and again. I spoke to Robbie Henshaw after the match and he said, I'm pretty sure that's Johnny's favourite play of all time. He keeps mm. calling it. But it works so well. And, and one of the reasons it works so well is because it's kind of multifaceted and there, there are several options. In this instance, Ireland are playing off a, a kind of collapsed mall here. And yep. Conor Murray sends this uh, tunnel pass in behind Henshaw, who does a good job of actually sitting down Louis Picamos. So you, you mentioned kind of mm. mixing it up. There is a slight tweak on yep. it here. It's not going to be the centres that are running the, the loop play. Um, Johnny Sexton gets the ball. Uh, on that tunnel pass from Murray, and he hits Gary Ringrose, who's going to be the kind of hub, I suppose, mm. of the of the loop play. Um, what he's got is a really good line from from Rob Carney just outside him. Carney comes really direct, straight up the pitch with his hips towards the post, mm. and he's going to place a really big decision-making stress on uh, Gail Fiku on the edge. Um, we mentioned actually sitting down two defenders, and that's what Ringrose does here. Uh, he he gets Lopez and Lamara tied into that one collision, um, and he. He's so subtle in his, his execution. I think that was one of the things as well. Paddy Jackson actually ran a couple of loop plays against the Scots, for example. But the, the actual passing player in the middle of the, of the loop wasn't always perfect in their decision-making or their body language. Hearing those actually doesn't show. He doesn't look back over his shoulder to find Sexton. He actually just pops a short little pass. And that's what really makes it difficult for Gail Fiku because the pass almost looked like it's going to go to Rob Kearney. Goes out the back door, of course, and said... Uh, Johnny Sexton's able to break there and kick ahead. Mm. Pressure from Keith Earls. Uge makes the error and Nakatasi touches down. Try follows from that scrum. Really brilliant execution. But I guess, can you talk us through specifically in terms of that little loop play? 
I think the, why it works. The, why it works so well? What are the there? I, I think there's a couple of things. First off, you have um, you know Robbie Henshaw in that that exact example. Robbie Henshaw runs a real line, and I think real lines is probably what makes this move work so successfully all the time. Um, you a know, real line, as in they could actually get the ball. They could get it, and they're expecting the ball on the line. And I, I think that you know it's only that it, at that at, at the top level, it's those split sections second decisions that really cause confusion so just one French defender slightly bites in for a second on Robbie, Robbie Henshaw then he has to get back out that's created doubt already in the French defensive line when the ball goes to uh, Johnny and it goes to Guy Ringrose here he had he can carry the fact that he's not looking for Johnny he's got loads of leg speed he's attacking the line he's interested in his defender same with Rob Kearney. Rob Kearney runs a real line. He's engaged Fiku, and that means that he has to turn his shoulders. If Fiku go, if Fiku go, goes forward and leaves, um, leaves Kearney through, Kearney will just run through that hole there. So he has to stay connected. Has to, as we spoke about earlier, he has to know what his inside man is doing. Twelve has sat down on Gary Ringrose. Fiku has to uh, turn his shoulders in on Rob Kearney, which allows Johnny go go out the back. It's then down to the winger to also, but because they've done it higher up the field, the winger can't come up and close the gate as hard as he wants to. He, he got, you have to look after the backfield. Now, the backfield in French, from the French perspective, is kind of non-existent. They kind of defend the back three. It wouldn't be the best in it in the world. So you know you're playing, and this is something that. Wales haven't been good at either. They've been making, you know, they've been trying to load that uh, when people have played the Welsh, they've been loading the, the the defenders out wide. And I think that's something that in this running these plays is really going to test the guys on the edge because as you saw against Scotland, they make bad reads on the edge and that's what's going to allow Ireland get in behind them and create those line breaks. Yeah, those real lines are really interesting because even within this this French game there were other instances of Ireland running a loop play and and ring rows or Henshaw as it was mm. did actually carry or did drop the short pass. So it's that it's that variety, and it's kind of fascinating how such a simple little play can have so many different op well, op opportunities. It's you know there's got you've you've got three options here you know and you've actually if you go back to the iPad you'll see that Simon Zebo's in behind so you can actually layer it up even more where Simon Zebo here. Simon here. So if they actually do bite bite and the winger is connected, it can go to Johnny. Johnny's marked up, but it can go late. There to Simon, who's going to who, oh, who yeah. end up running through, who will end up running through a hole. So in our example, there, there's Zebo just here on yeah. on Sexton's inside shoulder, and he can pop back inside. Yeah, yeah. he can pop. He, he can and but even if they bring loads of line speed, and Johnny doesn't have time to go back inside, Gary can go direct, can go straight to Zebo here, so he can go run in that hole. So it's it's very much um, you know real lines all the time, and I think that's what that's what will create those holes in multi phase, and we'll just. Plant that seed of doubt in the in the Welsh defensive line. Mm. Must be absolutely infuriating to get caught open by something you've you've seen so often, yeah. especially from Ireland. But it's a simple play. But if it's run correctly all the time, it's very hard to defend because what you're doing is you're sending four attackers into three zones. So technically, someone's going to be free. You just have to pick the right option. Yeah, decision making. It's all your option. Your uh, opponent gives you the options, as, as Steve Hansen always reminds us. And mm. um, in terms of Irish defence, this is going to be a really physical challenge, I guess. Is this maybe the opportunity for Andy Farrell's stamp to really come out? Because we're expecting this 
really uh, attritional battle. Is this the, the time now for for his defensive stamp? I suppose to be to be telling. Yeah, I, I think they probably had you know half well forty minutes of a hiccup against against Scotland, and from there on they've been they've been very very good. They were put under a lot of pressure the first 10, 15 minutes of the French game, but they withheld it. Uh, you know they they withstood the, stood that pressure, and you know they got on top then. Um, you know it was very interesting. I I, I did something with Sean. Um, Sean Cronin and he said I was talking to him and one of the big things that Andy Farrell he's like no wastage so and we were actually talking about that example against Scotland and he was like that would drive Andy Farrell up the wall because there's five guys on the blind side that are completely wasted and I think if you can get that right make smart decisions then that will allow them as we spoke about previously, bring that line speed up until probably five or six in the defensive line, which means they can taper and drift on the edge and use a touch line, where it looks like Wales are playing all the rugby, where actual fact it's gain line win after gain line win, and it's frustrating for the attack. And uh, I think if they can swarm them up in, in that area, and I suppose that's why you probably would go back to Jared Payne because he brings that and he brings that chat. You know, one of the interesting, most interesting things for me is, um, you know, in my coaching is that I, I, I kind of pick out different things and I, I watch different games, but I listen to Jared Payne on a, um, a player mic for Ulster one day in the European Cup. He talked for 80 minutes solid, but like his chat was impeccable it was I've got your inside I've got your inside okay come with me come with me come with me and it's just those you know it's that clear and and concise um mm. chat in the defensive line that just breeds confidence through the whole and I, I think that's why Jared Payne is probably yeah. going to go back in and start this weekend and Joshman has mentioned that he allows other people to defend better he's mm. spoken about it with Jamie Heesop as well and if you're listening to ref Mike every single game Jay, Jamie Heesop is around the fringes of the, the rocks really concise as you say mm. It's not just shouting, it's not just volume yeah. for the opposition. It's it, not white noise, it's, yeah. it's clear communication that will, you know, will get in. So, and that's what you want in the heat of battle. And, it, you know, there's, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people there. There's loads of noise. It's, you don't want noise on top of noise. You want clear chat, which is going to, you know, resonate in your, oh, yeah, okay, I've got your insight. Yeah, 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 okay, fine. I can now go forward. It's that, that that's what's that's what creates a really good defensive line and gives good pictures and will frustrate the attacking team. Mm. One of the little things we just wanted to look at before we finish talking about Ireland's defence is something around their kind of defensive exit strategies from the opposition. Uh, it's just a brief little thing. It's Conor Murray um, kind of shooting up ahead of the line. And I think this is actually what eventually developed into Italy's no, uh, no ruck tactic. Uh, Conor mm. O'Shea spoke about they tried to clarify a decision where Conor Murray, they felt it had been offside. Um, in their 22, and, and, the re and the feedback was actually there was no ruck there. So I don't think Conor Murray was actually aware of it himself, mm. but they go, hang on, that's interesting. So uh, basically what, what Conor Murray does, he hangs in behind the line um, when Ireland are defending against an exit. We see him just here, uh, kind of sweeping as most scrum has mm. would, but he started timing his runs. He's been doing this for a couple of months now. He started timing his runs superbly so that before the scrum half even has his hands on the ball, Conor Murray is sprinting in, in, into the line and he gets ahead of his... Um, ahead of his teammates and, and, and invariably gets close to a block. He hasn't got one yet, but my prediction is he's going to get a block mm. down before the end of this tournament. He's getting very close against Scotland. Actually, he, he pressured Stuart Hogg into three poor kicks in, in field. Unfortunately, Ireland's counter-attacking or kick return game isn't quite there yet, but mm. loads of little opportunities, I think, off that, and it'll be interesting to see it again. Um, it's a, a little tweak, but something simple can be effective. Uh, yeah, and it's just kind of smart. You know, it's just, you know, he's building up speed. It means he can get ahead. Obviously, it's a tactic 
the defensive line know he's doing it, so they're not going to shift out of line. They're going to stay in. Uh, they're going to stay marking their channels. And if Connor runs into your channel, he runs past you. Matter the ball, get, you you can, um, you know, you can cover the space that he leaves anyway. So it's just a speed thing, you know. He just gets off the mark and um, really good timing in that area, and just puts a huge amount of pressure on an exit. And if you can 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 get in that area, if you can get a bad exit to give you that opportunity to mm. counter. That's a massive win. It's a huge win defensively, so high up the pitch. Yeah, and we've seen with Wales already how mm. damaging a poor exit can be. That Obviously, that England tried that one for them, Elliot, Elliot Daly wide in the left, so I think Wales will be a little bit wary of that. We're going to take a couple of questions from our audience. Uh, Connor Miles has been on. He says, is there room for Payne or Carberry in the team? I guess we've already talked about Payne pushing a little bit to, to try and get Strapik in there, but in terms of that selection, do you, do you see him mixing it, it up much, Josh? Um, I, I don't really think so. I, I think, um, you know, Jackson is, you know, probably if he was playing for most other countries, he'd be a starter. It's just the fact that Johnny Sexton is ahead of him. Um, so I think it's probably, you know, very clear one and two. But, you know, Joey Carberry has really put himself, he's, you know, playing in a variety of different positions since he's come back from, from injury, which is going to stand to him in the future, getting involved in squads and will help his experience and, and you know, will continue his learning through, through the game. So, um, yeah, look, I think he's certainly going to tour in the summer. You know, he'll be in America, he'll probably be in Japan. And I, I, I think, you know, Johnny, if fit, he goes on the lines. So it means that, you know, Joe Carberry is going to get his opportunity this summer, like a, like a couple other guys, I think, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Connor, thanks so much for that question. We've got one from Gordon Bridgefield here. Based on the Six Nations so far, how many Irish players should make the Lions squad? We've just touched on it, but guys are standing out now. Um, you know, I think, um, obviously, there's a huge amount of... Um, uh, chatter around CJ, um, you know, I think his stats and what he's done defensively, he he he's right up there at the moment. Um, I think Tyg Furlong yeah. in with a huge shout of probably starting. Same with Jack McGrath. I think that all the front row, starting front row, will, will travel. Um, second row, it's probably very. That's a very very tight call. Mm. Um, you know, Devin Toner is running the line out exceptionally well at the moment. So, you, you know, he's certainly in the mix. I think. It's really weird. Ireland are playing quite well at the moment, so you can make a case. Everyone in it, yeah. you know, in the. But for me, I think an outside shot and someone that has performed exceptionally well during the year, I think, is Keith Earls. You know, I think he's really back to the best, um, the best he's played for years, probably. You know, and and I think he just feels comfortable. He's you know he's taken on the role in Munster Air so well, and you know he's leading now, and uh, and you know he always did lead, but he's just you know he's comfortable in that now, and he, he really uh, I think you know for me personally, it'd be great to see Earl as he travel. I think he's put in some fantastic performances over the last you know six months. Um, mm. I think that the definites are the halfbacks and probably the front stage to yeah. to travel outside of that. It comes down to you know who probably plays well in the last two games and how far the Irish teams get in the uh, you know in the Champions Cup. People underestimate how important the quarterfinals and semi-finals are in in the selection process of the Lions. And players like Keith Earls, when he travelled uh, previously, he had played exceptionally well. Didn't you know? Didn't feature, I think, in, in the Six Nations a lot, but was involved in the squad. But he played exceptionally well in the quarter-final win against Ospreys, and then again. And I think that's probably what you know got him in 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 tour. That I think you know the 
the quarterfinals and semi-finals are going to play a massive yeah. part in that selection role. You mentioned Sean Cronin earlier on. Even someone like him, getting back from injury, yeah. has a profile that would really suit a squad touring. So a guy that may not even feature in the Six Nations, or, or certainly won't at this stage, actually improving on his form with Leinster through the end of the season and actually getting into the line. So, mm. yeah, thanks for that question. We have another one from Owen McKenna here. Why haven't Ireland fixed their defending out wide? He puts it pretty bluntly. <laughs> um, I, I think, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think visually it looks like they're not defending correctly um, because they're kind of, um, you know, the edge, but they're drifting on the edge because of the line speed that four, five, and six have brought in the middle of the park. Um, I think, you know, that question's probably coming from the first 30 minutes, you know, 40 minutes against Scotland. Two incidents, really. Two incidents that, that I think is. You know, it all comes actually down to the basics and the wastage that we spoke about earlier on is an issue. And I think that's something that needs, you know, if you don't have enough numbers around the corner, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't on the edge because you come out of the line trying to stop the ball. If you don't stop the ball, then, you know, you look silly. If you just drift and they end up getting loads of gain line or if you drift and they end up going on your inside, you look silly again. So saying the you know, the pillar A, B, as we spoke about, get round the corner, get set and don't have any incidents, you know, like Gray in the line where he doesn't know where the ball is. Know where the ball is, come forward and defend together. That will allow you to make correct decisions on the edge. Sounds simple. It does. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Owen, for the question. That's unfortunately all we have time for. Thanks so much for joining us again. Cheers. Thanks for and having thanks me. Thanks hopefully building up to a Six Nations decider here in the Aviva. Catch you then.